Laura Lee. I'm so happy you're here. I'm thrilled to be here. I love you, Vicky, so much. And your show is always a pure joy for me as a as a participant and as a viewer, because you get besides me who you get the coolest people on your show. Oh, God, thank you so much. I I am so grateful for you and for our friendship. And, you know, we haven't been friends that long, but. But in another life, we've had other lives together. (laughs) I think, so. <laughs> I, I think so too but also it, it it was just an instantaneous ease which you know and actually you say that but I really believe that when we are comfortable with people as soon as we meet it's probably because we've been friends before I yeah. do believe that yeah no we 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 felt uh, the minute we first hung out I thought I know her <laughs> I just you know and, and it's been it's been wonderful I, I so appreciate everything you do and and your passion for what you do is really great. And I loved your women writers group and all the things you've got that you've done. You were fabulous. You used to come and hang out in the living room and, and just be, be just be a cheerleader for your friends, for everyone else. One of the girls. <laughs> it, it's amazing. So, all right. So we were just talking before we came on the air about what happened to you. You had a little accident. Yeah. And uh, so what happened? How did you, what happened? Well, what really happened was... Our band, The Immediate Family, has Denny Tedesco, who did the Wrecking Crew movie, has done a documentary about our band, and it is now making the circuit of all the film festivals. So there was a run where Denny and I, basically, uh, Steve Postel joined us for part of it, and then Danny joined us. But it was kind of me and and Denny. We flew from L.A., to um, Newark, took a car to to um, Woodstock, did the film festival, the Q&A, then at two in the morning, took a flight to Chicago, another flight to uh, Wichita, Kansas for the Tallgrass Film Festival, did that, then flew back to Chicago and flew to Nashville, did the Nashville Film Festival, and then flew back to LA. Well, at the end of that, in hindsight, I realized that I probably had drank one bottle of water and maybe had one meal. And oh. I, I was getting ready to go to the um, this place right near my house to pick up a load of gravel for a project I was doing the next day, that day in my backyard. And I was standing out front of the house and uh, I passed out face down into the pavement <gasps> and, and split all of this open over here, knocked my, cut my mouth, knocked my teeth back, trashed my hand. Oh. Uh, Got a, got a brain bleed out of it. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Wait, that's that's a whole horse of a different color. What? Yeah. How did they find that? And how do you treat that? And what the hell? Well, I, I ended up going into the emergency room, and then they got me uh, admitted. When they did a CAT scan, they saw the bleed, and they said it was a, probably a vein and not an artery, so it wasn't as as worrisome. But they said by the next, I spent the night in the hospital because I was on an IV and I was all stitched up and everything. Um, they um, then they did a CAT scan the next day and they said it had diminished at that point. So they weren't the the, the, the neurologist wasn't worried about it and they checked blood pressure and heartbeat and all that stuff. Uh, so, but it was really dehydration and exhaustion. And normally, I'm really good with that. But this was just really an intense three days that we were out there. And so it was basically a life lesson, you know, about just 
stop for a moment and take care of yourself. Okay, that was my next question. So how are you, Lee, really about taking care of yourself in general? I'm horrible. Or I'm like I'm I'm like I'm the I'm the world's best caregiver and I'm the world's shittiest patient. So um, but I'm trying to. We were just traveling again. I've done a bunch of traveling since then, and you know I'm trying to be real cognizant about drinking water and uh, and making sure I have some kind of a meal, and not just because you get into the zone, and and next thing you know. Yeah, you know, I mean, this is what I found when I was in, working as a sculptor and stuff. I, I could, I work in steel, so I was a welder. Wow. And you get, you that mass comes down and your whole world is a little light, this big. I could do that for 12 hours, not think about drinking anything, eating anything. You get into the zone. And uh, I've got to be careful because I get, I can zone out really easily and not take care of myself. Um, so I'm trying to be cognizant about it now. And how, how are you as, so you're a good caregiver, not a, you're not a good, you're a caretaker for others, not for yourself. How are you as a patient? Horrible. So horrible. horrible. So did you resist going to, you didn't, you couldn't resist going to the hospital because you were passed out. They were taking you. Well, no, the thing that was good was when I passed out, I was in front of my house and there was a, a, a Pac Bell guy out there doing some work on the street. And I started talking to him. And apparently while I was talking to him is when I passed out. But I found myself kind of crawling up the side of his truck and it was covered in blood and stuff. But I go, I go back into the house and my wife's sitting on the couch with the dogs watching TV. And I go, I go in and I go, um, I'll be back pretty soon. I have to run over to the hospital. And she looks up and I'm completely soaked in blood. So she drove me to the emergency room and dropped me off. Yeah. Oh my God. All right. So, so, so did you, was the, how was the care of and feeding of Leland Sklar after, did you take it? Did you go slow coming back? Did you, did you rest? Did you take care of yourself? No, you did not. I had work to do. Um, no, I, you know, I kind of, the thing they told me to do was just try not to lift anything heavy or anything for, for like a couple of days and uh, just, try to take it easy. So I kind of took it easy. Um, but, you know, you, you, you know, I just, you have responsibilities and things you have to do and you kind of do about half what you're supposed to do. Um, but, but I, I was cognizant of what, what were you able to play? You hurt your hands. Were you yeah. able to play? Um, I could feel it when I was playing, but nobody said you suck. So, you know, I'm assuming that the problems I was having weren't coming through, but nobody has ever said that those, those words have never been said to you. But when you Mm -hmm. land on your hand and it's swollen and all messed up, but, but whatever I was having to do, I was still um, nimble enough uh, to get through it, but I'm still recovering from that. The weirdest thing was cognitive issues. Oh, how so? Well, my wife had gone on a on a trip to see her sister in Tucson, and while she was gone, I was painting. I painted one of the bedrooms in the house, and this was right at, shortly after this happened. And I was talking to somebody on the phone, and I had just been working in the room, and I started. To, they said, "Well, what are you what are you doing in there?" And I said, "Well, I just finished painting the. I could not remember the word crown molding." at all. Wow. I, I mean, I'm sitting there looking at it. And I'm saying, you know, I said, you know, that kind of wood stuff at the top of the wall, I could not, I, I'm still missing some, some words and names. Uh, I have become a little bit difficult. 
Um, my mouthfeel still feels a little bit weird because of the amount of stitching they did is kind of- Okay, let's talk about your mouth. Tell everybody what you were telling me about your teeth, Lee. What happened well, with your teeth? Well, I had some lip swelling. <laughs> <laughs> you can never go anywhere without wax lips. This is the best thing ever. Um, no, what happened was when I went down, I went like this. I mean, my glasses, I'm, I'm sitting, I'm not wearing my glasses because we had a reflection here on the screen that looked really funky, but my glasses are, are still all busted up and stuff. Uh, but when I went down, it knocked the teeth on this side of my mouth, shoved them way back where there was no alignment at all. And, and I, my mouth was so swollen and I had stitches and all that. I thought I'm not going to go to the dentist's office and have them start prodding around. So I just sat for well over an hour with my thumb behind the teeth going. This is unbelievable. And just, just applying pressure. But all that stuff, I mean, it obviously can move because it got shoved back. So I thought, I'll work on it and see. And Didn't it scare you that you were going to knock them out? Uh, I, for sure. I mean, I mean, I was, I was still almost in a mild state of shock over all this. Of course. But um, wait, is this before you go to the hospital or after you go to the hospital? No, no, this was after I got home from the hospital. This. Uh, wait a minute. So your teeth have now settled for twenty four hours, and you're able to move them? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was a, it, it was, it was an interesting because I'm. I'm basically a really healthy person. I've hardly ever been in a hospital or anything. And all of a sudden to find yourself in this situation was uh, was really strange. But I really tried to use this as an opportunity to, 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 to not do it again. So I'm, I'm trying to be <laughs> cognizant about this when I'm you know, traveling and really intensely busy. Take a moment out and just take care of yourself during it. A moment, a moment or two or three, Lee, would be good. No, a moment. Just one moment. <laughs> just one little moment. So now you were pretty, I mean, I remember the pictures on Facebook. You oh, were, was, you don't, I don't see any scarring going it, on there. The, 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 plastic, the plastic surgeon who did it, it basically his, his assistant did it, this, this young girl, and she just sat there stitching it all up. And I'll tell you, it blew my mind when, all the stitches came out and everything that I really can't tell where it happened. I can feel some little bits of stuff in here, but considering that this was all torn open and stuff, it's pretty amazing that, that it healed as well. <laughs> Laura just says dentistry is not meant to be self-taught. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you just, you just never know, you know, you always kind of want to, you know, just to, uh, Tony said you could add dentistry to your resume. I said, you've already done that, right? Yeah, absolutely. I'm an oral reconstructive surgeon. Now. Oral reconstructive surgeon. So, and there's another place that there are some stitches going on, I understand. In the old arse area. Well, no. No? No, no. Oh, no. We oh you were, were kidding. We were, no, I was joking oh. because of what you're going to be going Because I'm going through the piriformis. Oh, I thought you had stitches in oh, your no, ass, no, no, too. no, 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 no. <laughs> no, they said they were going to stitch it up. They said it's cracked, but I said, just leave it alone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. All right. So you had all that going on. Yeah. Did you... Did you... Did you take time off from work, Lee? Did you not do your, your YouTube? Did you... Oh, you no. did it? No, absolutely. In no, fact, you didn't do it every day like you do. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I actually went and did a book signing in South Pasadena, too. Oh, my. Oh, well, well, I still had stitches in. 
fall. You know, I mean, to me, that's just that's just a bump in the road. You know, to me, the the things that I like to do, I never stop. I mean, I you know, I just I try to be in there doing YouTube every day. I've got a thousand, I think a thousand two hundred fifteen videos up now since the okay. beginning of the pandemic. Okay, so let's talk about what motivated you to do that because you and I were kind of on the same wavelength, except you did it here, Maureen. Hi, Maureen's on, your wifey is on. Um, you, you, you've done it successfully. I've just done it for the COVID crazies, but what drove you to start doing your YouTube channel, Lee? Yeah, it was an accident, actually. I didn't realize I was starting a YouTube channel. We had finished, <laughs> you know, we had finished Phil Collins's Not Dead Yet tour, the last tour we did. And at the end of the tour, I had some people writing to me, uh, bass players and stuff, going, man, we saw you like in Germany or South America. We did a, a bunch of stadiums. And they said, you know, there's like 80,000 people there. And they said, you know, the show sounded amazing, but we couldn't hear some of the details of some of the parts. So what I decided to do was I had our uh, front of house uh, mixer send me one of the shows. I think it was from Adelaide or somewhere like that. Mm. And, and I downloaded and I thought, well, I'm gonna put up the first song in the show and, uh, and I have an amp next to me here in my bass. And I thought I'll play, a, uh, I have a little, it's, it's right here. I've got my little Bose speaker Aww, yeah. next, that's plugged into the laptop and then my amp down here. So what I did is I played with a little bit of a balance. I'll tell you, a lot of people I know have these really slick studios, you know, where they have all this cool stuff. <laughs> when I'm doing my videos of me playing, this is my setup. Let me show you this. So anybody out there who really wants to know, I pull the drawer on my desk open. I have a selfie stick and a <laughs> clamp and, and, I, and I bolt the uh, selfie stick to the drawer. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I got a balance where the bass was a little bit louder than the track. And, I shot them and and then the next day I did another one and put that up. And then by the third day, I had people starting to write going, man, we love your YouTube channel. And I'm kind of going, what YouTube channel? What are you talking about? I didn't know that that was how a YouTube channel came about. I was just trying to answer some questions. And next thing you know, I played the entire show except for the last song, which is Take Me Home. And I figure... I'm going to leave that as the penultimate video when I decide to close down my YouTube channel. That'll be the last thing I do because that's how we would end our shows. But then I got to the end of the show and I'm going, I'm digging this, but now what? And so I started to dig into my discography and started pulling up, you know, like James Taylor and Jackson Brown and Hall and doing the same thing, finding a song on each album and playing along with it. It becomes really arduous trying to relearn songs all the time. And also, there's so many songs that I've worked on that the magic happened in the studio. And to be sitting right. playing along is is not going to do justice to it. So I, I, I kind of started balancing it with just stories about the sessions and then playing the song and talking about all the players on at the studio and all that. And And most of the videos usually are between 25 and 30 minutes on them. And... Uh, and, and and all of, during this period of time, I mean, I really made no effort. And there's about 215,000 people on the channel. Well, now. it's unbelievable. Okay, but wait, so you started doing it. And then how did you get into the rhythm? Okay, I'm going to do this every day. I'm going to do this every day. Um, I'm a Jew. I just started <laughs> to throw some guilt down my throat here. And I knew <laughs> I could walk away from it. But, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things that I really enjoyed. It. And, and, and this was all during COVID. And basically, like all of us, 
my my book blew away like a fart in a hurricane. Uh, <laughs> you know, every job I had lined up, all the, everything was shut down. And right. all of a sudden, this gave me purpose. You know, I was really enjoying it. I had time to do it. And just like, you know, the book and all this stuff. So it was a situation that I really found it gratifying. The response from people has been really wonderful. And it brings me a lot of pleasure. And it, and I've also, people have you know asked me over the years, are you ever going to write a book? You're going to write a book about, you know, and I've never wanted to, and I never will do it. But this is kind of an, almost an audio book about the thing that I think is the most valuable in terms of my career to sit and tell stories and stuff. It's not really where I'm at, but this has really been a uh, kind of a, a legacy thing mm-hmm. where, you know, after I'm gone, if people are interested, there's, there's so much information now on this. And, and it's, it's also kind of, it's, it's strange doing these things because I, I start looking at the credits on so many of these albums and so many of the people are gone now, oh. you know, the Don Grolnick's and the Carlos Vegas and the Michael Brecker's and it goes on and on and on. And it, there's a, a, a mm. certain melancholy that sets in with me, but the hard part of this now is that touring and working and all this stuff is, is kicked back in. I don't want to stop this. So I'm like carrying double duty at this point because I'll Okay, be... so how are you doing it when you're on the road um, and it's a travel day? Um, well, what what the fun I really had, and I'm doing, going to be doing this again, was when I was out all summer with Lyle Lovett and his large band. Mm-hmm. I, uh, every day I filmed the venues, took people on in, the basements. The, you know, nice. It, 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 talking to people who are working in the venues and stuff like that. In interviewing the guys in the band. So I, I can find something to film every day. And people were thrilled to go on the road with me. Absolutely. And they all felt really, and they got to see a side. I mean, most people see the stage from the audience standpoint, and that's all they see of a venue. So to be right. able to take them backstage and show them dressing rooms and catering and all this <laughs> stuff and introducing <laughs> them to me. Um, and then on the days when I can do it, I then I, I carry the same little rig on the road you, you, you carry your little selfie stick and your little no, well <laughs> what i also do is um on when i film every day i use my phone and i just set it on my laptop and 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 it's facing me and then i i play the music through the speaker and uh it's it's low tech but you know like one time i joked i said i'm gonna have to get a green screen you know so we can ch-, and people go don't change your thing <laughs> yeah what's your thing yeah. And uh, it's it's been really fun, but the community that's evolved from it is really cool. And out of that, I formed a clubhouse. Oh, um, that's my next question. Tell us about the clubhouse. I know that's what you were doing just, just an hour ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We twice a month we meet, and and through this company called Flat Five, which is uh, Aaron who runs it. He sets up the the, um, the clubhouse zooms, and or, or not. It's for me, it's not a zoom. I'm the only one you see. Everything else is a chat window. Right. But people can join that. And like twice a month, we meet for a couple of hours and just hang. And it's a community that's come together. And these people have all become friends. I mean, it's really an amazing. Sometimes I just sit back and look at the chat window and they're all talking to each other. It's really kind of, and they're from all over the world. They're down in Australia and and, and, in, in Sweden and everybody's come together at this point. And, uh, I really enjoy that. And then once a month, I do a, a one-on-one day where people sign up and I talk to them for about 15, 20 minutes. 
um, each. Uh, and that's a Zoom where we're talking like we are right here. Wow. And, uh, and, and that's usually, that's like a 12 hour day for me. I get about 20 some people on that. And just one after another, I just sit here and talk to, and they're fascinating. I love humanity. And, and so to be able to sit and talk to people, and one of the guys is a drummer, but he's also an attorney. And he's, we talk about court cases he's doing. <laughs> it's, it's really cool because there's a big world going on out there. And it's not all just revolving around me and my little rig here. I love to find out what other people are doing. So, that's so it's really a conversation. It's not just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, and I rarely get anybody who's like... a. Because I had people saying, yeah, I don't know that much about bass or stuff. So why would I come to the clubhouse? I go, it, it's rare we talk about music, the bass or anything like that. Today, most of the conversation was food. Sometimes somebody will throw out a movie they liked, and all of a sudden the whole two hours is going to be people talking about their favorite films. And so it's uh, it, it, it go it's very organic and, and, and malleable. So it's always... You know, it's, it's so interestingly because... Uh... You do it to a quarter of a million people, and I do it to the tens of my to tens of my. But we're basically doing the same thing. You know, it's yeah. basically what shooting the shit is, and it's the COVID crazies have become a family, and yeah. uh, and they talk amongst themselves and have relationships with each other, and and it's gotten us through this whole thing. It's yeah. what it's what gets us through. So you know, you're just doing it on a much grander scale, but basically yeah. the same. Yeah. idea well, it's also the idea that um you you can play a stadium and you can play a club with 30 people in it the the the, the satisfaction as a musician to me is the same mm -hmm. in it so it really doesn't matter the size of the audience that you're dealing with if you're connected with people if there's one person mm -hmm. in there that you're really truly connecting with it's a valuable experience Yes, and it's been that's what it's all about because I remember being in the north of England with Judith Owen and we were playing in a pub up there. It was just the two of us doing this gig. And there was maybe 30 people in this place. And, and we're playing. This guy comes up to me afterwards. He goes, Last time I saw you was in Wembley Stadium. What are you doing here? I said, I'm playing music. Are you having fun? <laughs> he goes, I love it. I said, Done. <laughs> Great. You know, and to me, that's what it's all about. The other part of it's that's business and all that. And it's great and it's exhilarating to walk out. And see this, you know, eighty thousand people in a state, but that really the ultimate thing is just playing. And if there's, I'm gonna actually in a small club, that's about the same amount of people I can really relate to in a stadium, because beyond that, it becomes texture and pattern. You don't right, right. You're connected to that group down front, and that's kind of a club for you. Can so. you can you do that when you're playing a stadium? Do you still? connect with the people that are right in front of you there? Yeah, the only problem sometimes in that situation is the first row is a lot farther back mm -hmm. because of barricades and all that stuff. But those right. are still the people you see down there uh, where I really love playing clubs. I love when you can almost, you can sit there and talk to the people in the audience. I mean, to me, that's that's the fun part of this whole thing is that relationship with people. And in a small club, the weirdest one for me was I did an album back in 1973 called Spectrum with Billy Cobham, which oh, we, yes. well, we, we did that album in two days and then we never played again. And in 2003, Billy called me and he goes, it's like the 30th anniversary of Spectrum. Do you want to go on the road and, and, and gig it? 
I said, sure. And now Tommy Bolin was no longer alive at that point. Um, so Dean Brown, who plays with Marcus Miller, ended mm -hmm. up playing guitar. And Gary Husband, who's a monstrous drummer, was the keyboard player on it because Jan Hammer didn't wasn't going on the road. Yeah. But, but we got up into the north, somewhere in upstate New York, and we're playing this club there. I mean, it's an intimate little club. There's a guy in the front row watching me play using binoculars. I'm thinking, what is this guy looking at? Nose hair or cuticles or something? I mean, what the hell? And he's just the whole show. He's, wow. It was the weirdest thing I've ever experienced. Wow. Really out. <laughs> totally out. But that's uh, hysterical. But it's, it's those adventures that I, I just love. This whole thing is, it's, it, it, I never, I've been doing it now pretty cons consistently now for going on 54 years. And I never tire of it. I just, I mean, I, the, the the light being on the road is hard. It, it carries a lot of stress for the family and, and being away from everything you really love and care about is difficult. But the minute you walk out on stage, no matter what the size of the venue, the minute you strap on the instrument and you start playing, it's like, boom, that in that couple hours, you're doing that. It's, it's, it's worth everything. I remember you saying to us last time that, you prefer touring to studio work that yeah that that's your well, it's it's you know i love i'm not going to say i don't like studio i love studio work and i love the process of creating um nowadays it's a little more difficult it doesn't have quite the same uh excitement to me that it did because so much of the work now is people sending me files and i'm just sitting in the same seat here putting bass parts on stuff but i can i can't affect anything other than the bass part where when we're in a studio with a group of creative people you hear the guitar player play something and you go oh, hey, play that lick again and then you work out a part with it and there's a dialogue that's constant right. which is what makes the magic where when I'm sitting at home I'm not talking to anybody I can only do my specific part and and I and, and I don't necessarily you know I get sent a lot of things where they go we're going to be replacing all that we just want your part and I'm but I'm playing off of stuff that's going to be replaced where if I was in the studio, so it's different. And also when I'm on stage playing, mm -hmm. I pluck, I pluck a note, the note's done. It's gone out. They've heard it. I'm on to the next note in the studio. I could pluck that note and then they could sit there and scrutinize that for the next uh -huh. three days. You know, let's move <laughs> it here. Let's, let's do that. You know, so mm -hmm. I find the, uh, like most of the guys I know, we all started out in bands playing clubs and frat parties and, you know, bar mitzvahs and all that stuff. Um, and, and that's really at the end of the day, that's still where the heart and passion for all this lies is, is that thing of looking down and seeing somebody enjoying what you're doing. And it's that symbiotic relationship that happens. You know, I don't see a wall on stage, you know, between me and the audience. We are so connected. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of people out there are very happy to hear hear you say that because as an audience member, so many times if we sit up close, we're sure that the musician is connecting with us or the actor in the show or whatever. We're convinced, but other people will tell us otherwise. But it is really true. But, you but do. at times it really is. I mean, because if they weren't there, it would be a sound check. Hmm. You know, I mean, you, that's the relationship is them. And that's that's when I get around some musicians who like treat their audience kind of like crap. And I go, they've given you the greatest life you could ever have. Why are you such an asshole? 
you know, I mean, come on, give me a break. You know, this is a this is a real beautiful relationship that happens with an audience. So, so I I, I enjoy it. You know, I'll, I'll never tire of it. And, uh, <laughs> Your wife just said I posted photos of his epic fall on my page. <laughs> thank you, Maureen. <laughs> thank you, babe. Thanks, babe. Um, you know, I wanted to ask you, and I, I hate to get serious right here up please, at the top, please, but please. but I, I I wanted to talk to you about Jeff Beck. Jeff Jeff Beck was, for me, you know, Hendrix is in a different thing that I can't even. But of living guitarists, Jeff Beck was always where I, where I leaned, and I just got to see him um, in November. Oh God! And it was Lee. I can't even tell you. Every second of that show, he was present. He was talking. He was joking. He was having such a good time. He was passionate. Every note was perfect. I mean, he was singing and weeping through those strings. And I had seen him at the Hollywood Bowl a few years before with Rod Stewart, and he had just come out and done a few numbers, mm -hmm. maybe five songs. And it was like he phoned it in. You could tell he didn't want to be there. It wasn't what he wanted to be doing. It was the, it was, I couldn't believe it was the first time I'd actually seen him live. And it was so disappointing. Yeah. But then I got to see this. And um, you've played with Jeff. Well, I never had a, I never got to play with him. That's you the, never played? No. I, I met him, I, I was around him a few times. The last time I saw him was in Japan. I was with Toto and mm -hmm. he was playing in Japan. And I went to the gig and I went back into the dressing room and he was so funny because the minute he sees me, he's going, Stratus, Stratus, <laughs> which is a, a track from Cobham's Spectrum. Yes. And, and, he, and he incorporates that into his show. And he said that when he saw, when he heard Tommy Boland, because he knew Tommy Boland from back in, when Tommy was in Zephyr. Mm -hmm. and, and I was in a band called Wolfgang. We were managed by the same person. So we were, we did gigs together and stuff. But, um, he said seeing Tommy play changed his way of looking at guitar. Um, it was a, profound to him because Tommy Boland was probably one of the greatest guitar players ever, but lived a tragic life in past. I think he was 28 when he died. Oh, Lord. Yeah. Um, but Jeff was so funny. And then that's when I got the picture of him from my book, Flipping Me Off. And then we, <laughs> and then we sat and talked hot rods. I guess that's why I assumed that uh, that you had played with well, Yeah. Um, no, when I saw him, when I saw him, uh, we'll get to that. Rhonda Smith was playing bass with him, um, who played with Prince, and she's been with him recently. She, she was with him when I just saw him in yeah, November. Yeah, she's Rhonda, amazing. She's a monstrous musician. She's unbelievable, and one of the most soulful, beautiful people I know. So, the the first person I wrote to when I heard he passed was her, just knowing how devastating this had to be because she was loving this so much. Mm. With and uh, it's just, it's it's just heartbreaking because he, to me, he's one of the guys that was so, what he did, he was so true to where a lot of guys have changed their sound and they've changed their directions over the years, kind of not necessarily chasing trends, but they've changed. Jeff was always, he he's like a guy who came out of mom in, in full glory. <laughs> <laughs> When I listen to stuff from him from, you know, from 40 years ago, it's the same energy, the same vibe, this beauty and his technique. It was like nobody else. When when you look at that right hand and how he plucked the string, didn't use a pick, was plucking and how he the whammy bar was always tucked in and just for color and texture. I mean, he was 
you know, when I heard he had passed, I just, it really just broke my heart because he's one of those people that you kind of think will be here forever. You know, Absolutely. he had that vibe about him. I mean, it's, I mean, he was 78 years old, but he could have been 28 years old. He looked incredible. He was yeah. in amazing shape. And to, to, yeah, I put yeah. up, I put up, uh, I shared two videos off of YouTube. That's him talking about his car collection and working on cars. Cause that, I mean, he would talk about that when he was building a car, he'd figure out how much he was going to need to build the car. And then he would go on the road to make that, <laughs> that money. So that he would, at the end of the, that tour, he would go back and work on his cars. He was. A I, I know about the cars passion because he was great friends with Candy Clark and yeah. they met and it was all about the American graffiti shows and the car shows and all of that stuff. And that's how they became friends. Yeah, one of his cars was was a, a duplicate of the, yes. of, uh, what's his name? Was it? Toe, name? no. Uh, yeah, it, it, was, it was, Harrison had the other car. I forget his it was name. Ron ha not Ron Howard's car. It was Toad. Was it Toad's car? Toad's car. No, no, no yeah, Toad, it was. No, Toad ended no. up. In, no, it was the the yellow, um, like thirty two. Oh, it was Paul Lamat. Yeah, was Paul Lamat. Yeah, car. right. And he raced Harrison at, at the end. But yeah, but Jeff had a duplicate of that. If it wasn't <laughs> the original, it was the duplicate of it that he had done. So he was a he was a unique special guy and 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 if nothing else one of the great things about especially in the arts and things like that you can be gone but your legacy can go on i mean there's going to be people digging it's like I, I i meet guys now and they i talk to their kids and there's a young kid they're going hendrix oh man hendrix you know and they go hendrix died you know like almost when your dad was born you know and, mm -hmm. and here you are but you're connecting i mean it was funny there's a with the immediate family, we played out at Bogies out in mm -hmm. Westlake, uh, mm -hmm. one of the first gigs we did. And this guy came up to me and he was a school teacher in Agoura Hills High School. And he said, would you consider coming and talking to one of my classes? Mm -hmm. I said, no. In fact, he's contacted me about doing another thing with him. Um, I said, no, I'd be happy to, you know, whatever. So uh, we set up a thing and I go and he said, it's a general ed class. It's not specifically a music class. I said, that's fine. So we go there and, and I see the kids coming in to the room and I'm going, Jesus, they look like embryos. What's going on? What am I going to say to them? But I sat and I, I, you know, talked to him. He introduced me and we talked about some stuff. And then this one kid raises his hand and I said some Q and asked some questions. And this kid who was maybe a very youthful 15 year old, he, he says to me, you played on Spectrum? <laughs> Where did this come from? I mean, this this kid. I mean, how how does he know about this? And he go, I love that album. I love that. Wow. Album. I was just going. If that's the only person in that whole classroom I connect with, it was great. But there was a few kids that were musos that when the I mean the class was great and everything. And when everybody left, it was about five or six that hung back and we sat and talked. And they were like serious music majors and stuff. And it was really great. But it was when he said that, it kind of just took me back because you were thinking, you know. Wow. So Lee, speaking about your book, you know, I don't know if you remember this, but the first time you came and did Game Changers yeah. was in 2019. And you were talking about the idea of assembling this. It was an idea in your head. Yep. The next time you came on, you said, yeah, I'm going to do it. Uh, I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm looking for, and like a month later, it was done. It was published. You're signing them. You're okay. 
So you said you're not going to write a book. You're not going to write your story. What was the, what was the impetus? Well, the story is explained in the, in the beginning of, of this book. It's the only practical writing in the book as it explains how this all came about. But the essence of it is in 2004, we were doing Phil Collins's um, first final farewell tour, it was called. <laughs> and, and they had hired a base tech for me who was hugely qual overqualified to be mm -hmm. my base tech because I don't need a base tech. And you know, he came <laughs> and this guy, Steve Winstead is his name, nickname is Chinner. And he works with all these great bands and stuff. So he said, he comes in, he goes, so what do you need? What do you need? <laughs> what do you need? I said, eh, nothing, I guess. I don't know. Just make sure that amp works. It's on stage. And I guess that's about it. Well, we the tour was like a year, you know, so we joked about things all the time. He'd look at me and he just, you know, he ended up being like, like the general guy for anybody out there that the singers needed lozenges. He would go get them. <laughs> yeah. Anybody. So at, at, at towards the end of the tour, there was talk that Phil was going to retire at the end of the tour. He was just done at that point. Mm -hmm. He just, just had it. And was uh, he, was he, had he already stopped playing drums? No, he was still playing. He was that. still playing drums. And, and he was still ambulatory. He was running all over the stage and everything. Mm -hmm. I think after all the years and all the tours and stuff, I think he, at that point, he was going through some personal stuff and in, in his life. And I think he was just tired. Mm -hmm. So, um, I thought, you know, th there's so many of these people out here on this tour, the crew people that gather from all over the world to be a part of this stuff. Mm -hmm. And I thought, if the if we don't tour again, I'm not going to see any of these people again. And uh, so I thought, I'm going to go take pictures of everybody and make a little folder for myself and just tuck it away for, you know, someday I'll look at it and go, God, I remember those people. It was so <laughs> much fun. Well, as luck would have it, the first person I go up to is Chinner. And he's sitting in his laptop working. And I said, hey, Chinner, give me a smile. And he's typing. And he goes. <laughs> so I, look, I take the picture and I look at it. I go, this is actually pretty good. So I went and got Phil, Tony Smith, his manager. I got everybody in the band, everybody in the crew, bus drivers, truck drivers, caterers, everybody. And I had about 150 pictures. And I made a little folder and I put it away and didn't think about it anymore. Then a couple of years after that, I went on the road with Toto the first time. And I thought that was kind of fun with that. So let me, so I got all those guys. Well, it got up to about 300 pictures. It started taking on a life of its own, where in the book, I think there's about 6,000 pictures. Unbelievable. And, and I still have close to 7,000 I didn't even use in the book. I mean, I, and I'm looking, there's some I, I for, that somehow got under the rate. I have a great picture of Yo-Yo Ma flipping me off where he, <laughs> he's, he's going like this with a scissor, like he's cutting his finger off. <laughs> hey, hold on a minute. Maybe, I, let me see if I can find a couple of these. Here, let me That's his Well, while you're doing that, I'm going to show that you know, I don't think there are page numbers, but right here in the juicy, oh, no, no page numbers in the juicy middle, there's somebody that um, oh, yeah. there's a there's a babe, <laughs> there's a big picture of the old girl. Oh, that's I love, honored, I love having you in there. Are you kidding? You honored me, but that's amazing that Chinner started the whole thing. It's in the picture. <laughs> the picture of him flipping me off is right at the beginning, at the front of the book. Okay, wait, now I have to find Chinner so I can show everybody Chinner. Let's see if I can find, you'll have to, it just, no, wait. It's a, no, it'll be like in the second page, like go to the very front of the book. Yeah. The very, very front. Now just open it up. 
go to the oh. next page. There should be one where I signed. Oh, it. oh, 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 yeah. You're telling this story. There he yeah. is. Yeah. So he's 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 there. tucked away right in there. <laughs> so that was the that was the picture that launched A thousands of. Well, yeah. like here's here. This isn't in the book. Here's Vince Gill. Oh God, yeah, I can see. <laughs> uh, oh God, oh, let me let me find th this. Yo-Yo Ma's hysterical. I got I got to find Yo-Yo in here. <laughs> He, he was just so much fun. I got him uh, doing the uh, Kennedy Center honors. Oh. Come on, where where are you, Yo-Yo? So now do, I assume that, oh God, hysterical with the scissors. But, but you know, it's not in the book. So I, 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 there's so many pictures that weren't in there. I, I went to Mexico City and did a, a masterclass at the Fermata Music School in Mexico City. I got every student and I got the entire student body in one shot. Oh, God. I mean, you know, there's so many where I, I, I could have done 10 volumes of this book and had fun with it. Because every, and the thing is, first off, the book is about humanity. It's not about celebrity or anything like that, because I have like large pictures of somebody that was on an airplane, yet a small picture of Jay Leno next to it. It's not like you're going, here's the celebrity section. And then here's like the average... To me, it's about humanity. So it's all these shots. And to me, it's really this. It's the faces. There's a finite amount of ways to give the finger. But it's, <laughs> faces, are in, faces are infinite. And so you run the whole gamut of people hiding to people that are... And, 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 and it's, they've only... I've had... Um, I would say out of the... like. 12,000 plus, I've had probably maybe about 10 people say they wouldn't do it. Um, so, I mean, most- Give us an example of somebody who said no. Um, well, I, 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 they were people that s thought it would disturb their celebrity status, you know, and stuff. So, wow. I'm not going to say names, but it, and then they, one of them found out later and said they wanted to do it now. And I said, no. I said, you know, you had a shot and you, and you turned it down and it's, I'm move, I've moved on. You're not, you're not going to be in it. Um, so it's a fun, it's a funny thing, but some people would go, man, the weirdest part is when I look around all this crap that sits behind my computer in the window. So people send me finger stuff all the time. I was never into the finger. This was all chinner's fault, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and all of a sudden I get packages sent to me and stuff. And it's, hand, I mean, there's mechanical hands that are motion activated that you walk by and, <laughs> uh, and all kinds of. And the youngest, I seem to recall, there's a funny story about the youngest finger you got. The youngest finger I got was in vitro. <laughs> this friend of mine, his daughter was having an ultrasound. And in the ultrasound, the baby, all you see is a little hand. <laughs> Got to start somewhere. But you couldn't put that in the book because it wasn't one that you took. Is that the way it went? Uh, well, yeah. kind of. And and there were just so many. Uh, I mean, the, the, I have a friend named Richard Tremarchi who has a company called Art Alliance in um, uh, kind of towards Highland Park, South Pasadena, that area. Uh, mm -hmm. His nickname is Blue. And I did the book with him. He does all, all kind of, he did like the posters for the New Orleans Jazz Fest and all this stuff. He's an amazing amazing graphic artist guy mm -hmm. and so I, I met him at a there's a painter in Pasadena named Kenton Nelson 
who's like world renowned. He's got, you know, stuff in galleries all over the world. And he would have these get togethers in his backyard every like couple of months. And Van Dyke Parks called me one time and said, want to be my date? And I said, sure. And we went over and it was like, you know, the guy who owned Tashin books and scientists from Caltech and you know, a real mishmash of really fascinating characters. And one of the people there was Blue. And we started talking and and I mentioned this whole thing and he said, let's do it. And so it was- Where in the process did you, how far into the process did you meet him? Like um, what, what only, were you- I only had content. I only had pictures. I had not had a thought about making a book or anything. Really, it was, the world was getting so crazy and different. I thought if I'm ever going to do something, now's the time. And I went over to his place and met with him. And then I brought over, um, you know, little hard drives with all these pictures and stuff. And then we, he started looking through them. I started looking through them. And we and how did you assemble? How did, I was, love, I just, I opened to the Ali Willis yeah. age uh, earlier. And wow, was that joyful well, to see her. You know, it, it's it's one of those things that um, that was where his eye came in. Like he had mm. suggestions about, because he knew how to assemble a book. Mm -hmm. And like, I mean, it got really deep when we're, he's got pictures blowing up to the, they were this big where we could look and make sure there was not a seam out of place when the pictures were all put together. Mm. And, and there were, and there's all these little things like there's the great Lou Ad, the producer, Lou Adler, he's on one page and Jack Nicholson is on the other page. Well, the two of them sit together at the Lakers game. So actually those two pages are the Lakers colors. Oh. So there's like these little inside things on it. And there's one section of all people with cameras. There's another one where people are like sticking their finger in their nose. So there's certain thematic things, but, but, it, but it was never, because people have said, have you got like a list of all the names of everybody on there? And I said, no, I just, that wasn't the purpose. That wasn't the intent for this. And there's people that don't get recognized. Art Garfunkel is in there, but it's hard to recognize him because his hair is short on it. And Sean Penn's kind of covered up when he's, looking up but i i would find all these people you know jeremy pivens at a gig and um you know i would say at one of phil's gigs and there's jane seymour sitting there and i, I said come on flip me off and she was thrilled to do it um you know most people have been just great about it you know and having hans zimmer and all these Amazing. people but, but you know finding people i would get people at baggage claim and get them i get this uh, an airplane <laughs> compartment to do it you know i mean most people are if you approach things, it's this is not a pissed off gesture. I mean, it can be on the freeway if you're next to a carload of guys that think you cut them off and they're going at you. But for the most part, everybody was, you know, I mean, I got all these, it starts with babies. Give me the That's, thing. Okay, so I have a weird question and I'm guessing the answer is no to this. Any clergy people? Um, about three pages in, there's a nun. <laughs> there's a nun. And, and she was my, my wife's mom's cousin. And and also, and she was a sister, but her her actual biological sister was also a sister, and she was pissed that her arthritis was so bad she couldn't give me the thing. But but but, but Stelita, it was a nun, and 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 I I said, and she goes, I was a high school principal. This is not a big deal to me, and she was one of the most righteous people I've ever known in my entire life. So the only thing that's not in the book, and I refused to do it, was politicians. That's where I drew the line. And I had some really great opportunities with politicians at gigs where a lot of heavy political hitters showed up at them. 
And I thought, no, I don't, I'm not going to open this door because I really, you know, even if it's somebody I liked politically, I just didn't want to go down that road because I just, just didn't. Interesting because you go down that road a lot. So yeah. it's interesting that you drew the line at this. Yeah. I wanted this just to be kind of enjoyable and not, you know, it's something where people start to get into something over it. And I'm happy to get into it with them, you know, on Facebook or something like that. And uh, let's how is that going for you, well, uh, Lee? Uh, since we're really not in the political environment that we were in these past few years, um, it, I really although I don't know. Come on, look what they're oh, doing to Biden. Come on. Oh, well, that, that to me is total horseshit. Bait I mean, and switch. I mean, when I, I mean, if the Republicans aren't going to do anything about Santos, then they've negated themselves completely. I mean, now I would heard today that, he, that he's wanted by the police down in Brazil. He's like it was a complete con artist down there. This guy is like so full of shit, but they won't get rid of him because. Well, I like the way McCarthy said he's had questions about his resume for a long time. So yeah, full of shit. But here he is. Yeah. He's, he's sitting on the science committee. And, and and he's he's a complete shyster scumbag mm -hmm. and, and they won't do anything about it so to me it negates everything but this whole thing where as soon as they found these these documents at biden's he turned immediately turned him over now you know i mean the, the, when people say oh they're all the same bullshit <laughs> i also read that when um a president a vice president leaves office it's up to his people to gather everything and make sure it goes back to where it was going. It's not his responsibility to walk around and, and cherry pick through this it's stuff. Like people, it's like people that sit and they complain and they go, get rid of him. Look at the gas prices. He has nothing to do with gas prices, but they nobody, it's like people read the headline and don't go beyond that. So they don't really dig in and find out really what the nuances and stuff that's going right. on. But I, I, was, I, I kind of sit there and go, I really like having a platform, but every time I, on an average, I was kicked off of Facebook 150 days a year. So, and so when, so that stopped for, so that's not happening anymore. Well, no, it probably will. But if I find something that I really find absolutely imperative to jump on, but this is all kind of playing itself out in its own ways, but talking to this current house, and there it's just it's like their agenda has nothing to do with anything positive for us they are just in this other world that just is beyond comprehension it's all money everything is yeah, money everything power, is money power and money and i look mm -hmm. at the, i look at the supreme court and i just sit there and i go who would have ever thought we'd have this kind of bullshit going on in, in the supreme court of the country but we are in in a really surreal time and mm -hmm. uh, when i feel something really bears jumping on but it was it was funny like when i was out with phil during the period when bush was uh running uh bush jr mm -hmm. uh, i had a a sticker on my base and all it said was prune bush <laughs> well man they had people coming up demanding their money back at concerts saying we didn't oh come my lord we didn't come here for a political rally you know, then I, and I, I talked to Tony Smith and Tony says, we totally agree with you. But at this point, I said, look, I'll take it off. I mean, this is like if this is really causing grief for you guys, this is my battle, not yours. You can't even vote here, you know, stuff. And um, and then on my uh, on my other base during the whole Bush uh, during Trump's whole administration, I had a, a sticker that said resist. 
Yes, I, yes, I, it, yes, yes, it, yes. It, it did not say resist what or anything, but the thing is, these people are so full of guilt that they immediately slap it on themselves and then attack you for having it there. You know, because if it could say resist almonds, could you, <laughs> kind of. Kind of well, you know, they've come after me since they're not after you. They took down 98 of my shows. And I get, because I always am talking on shooting the shit about stuff, I guess. And now every few days I get a thing. We've taken down this because it goes against community standards. And literally there was one, it was a picture of me. And I don't know, somebody who did my show. There's no cleavage. There's no nothing. And it says, this picture goes against community standards. It's just our two heads. Well, the thing is, their community standards only represent a community I would never want to be a part of. <laughs> you know, it's like I, I remember, I remember on, on Facebook, I put up a picture. It was a, a Miley Cyrus concert, and she's on stage wearing like these these massive fake tits and a huge dildo on stage. She's <laughs> that the thing that she does. She right. was fully dressed. They said this goes against our community standards. You're prom you know you're pr promoting uh, nudity and stuff. And, and so they blocked me for 30 days. And I'm sitting there going, there wasn't one bit of nudity. And, and my comment on it was, you have enough talent where you don't need to come off this desperate kind of situation. And, 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 I, and I always knew I had a target because I would post certain things that got me kicked off. And then I would have friends post the exact same thing. And they never and got they would, Of course. So, of course. I mean, it sucks. I remember that when you were starting to lose so many of your, your videos that you did. And you're just kind of going, Who's making these decisions? I mean, this two is years of shows. Like they took down, they took down three or four years of shows two years ago. I got those back. Then everything since has been taken down, and um, I don't get it. I and should... there's nobody you can even talk to. There's nobody to complain to. There's nobody to talk to. You write a thing. Yeah, it's just I, I, I've got on my YouTube channel. There's some troll that's on there where every comment there's a, a an attachment on every comment from whatever this site is something text and uh and they change it every once in a while but i've i've written to youtube and i said this is harassment and bullying and stuff they're screwing up the whole thing they don't do anything about it so i sit there and, and double my time on it sitting there manually deleting right and it's just like you in this brave it'd be one thing if you had this new technology but there was recourse and ways of, of of talking to somebody about something that was not kosher and but there isn't they're just sitting there you know you know whoever the ceos and the cfos on they're collecting their big bucks and then you see them starting to unload like three thousand employees and stuff like i think microsoft is just yes today i think a yeah huge, huge amount of their employees um and and you know when elon took over twitter you know do you, you, just, you don't tweet do you no i always thought that just calling something tweeting and Twitter was so infantile, <laughs> and and I'm way too long winded to um to to, to do sound bites. <laughs> I, I I created an account, but I was almost never went on it. I never checked it, so there was hardly any followers on it. And I'm kind of the same with Instagram. I'll do I'll I'll use Instagram when the uh, the office says you know we we got some news info about the band. So I'll put right. I don't sit there and post pictures of lunch and things like that. I, I, I still I still find a, a value in Facebook from the standpoint there's people that I've been able to connect with there that I probably would have never connected with in any other of the, of the platforms. Absolutely. So, but, but on the dark side of it, I really 
try to avoid it. And I, I, you know, and I don't mind getting into a scrap with people. I mean, I've got a big mouth and, and I'm, and, and I, I actually have people come up to me on tour where they go, you know, I, I don't agree with you politically, but, you know, I really appreciate, you know, your passion about it and stuff. And I go, we can talk then. Has yeah. it ever gone the other way where somebody... I get death threats. I, oh, okay, that's what I was going to ask oh, yeah. you. Like, no, I, get, yeah. I, get, I get people that write and go, we know your touring schedule. We're going to come. Oh, my, and, oh and my God. A couple of them, I responded to one and I said, okay, let me get this straight now. So you're down in the basement right now in your in your jammies that have the that <laughs> goes down and you're jerking off to Pac-Man and mommy just brought you some Ovaltine and now, <laughs> and now you're a badass because you're sitting behind the screen. I said, bring it on. And you <laughs> never hear from them again they're gone you know they're just you know but uh, it's has just, anybody ever approached you after a show or and been co a contrarian been a little not, scary not really because i mm -hmm. think most people when they actually physically see me they get scared and they <laughs> kind of walk away go i don't want to mess with this crazy man <laughs> so you know it's 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 a funny situation but for the most part i you know i always tell people i said you know because some people will write and they'll go it's another one of those libtards who, you know, they only want to hear what they believe. And and I always say, you know, I I really value, I want to be educated, you know, tell me what makes you think the way you do and give me, but bring me facts. Don't bring me Sean Hannity and, you know, and Tucker Carlson quotes and stuff like that. Bring me hardcore facts. I was a science major in college. I love facts. And, you know, we'll talk at that point. But, you know, and I would say, you know, please teach me, you know, write, write, let me, and they never hear from them again, because mm -hmm. they have no facts. They are, they are just, they are hollow at that point. If they believe it, they only believe it in their own mind, but they, they, they can't fight a battle with what they know. So they just, they spew it out and then they run at that point. And uh, and it's real sad because there's more and more of these people like that, and they're also a lot of them are sitting in positions of power now, making decisions about us, and they don't know what the fuck they're talking about, you know, or they know, but in, in their own warped way that isn't going to benefit the community at all. It's only going to kind of elevate themselves in their minds. Mm -hmm. And too many of them are voting, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. Um. So Lee, let's talk about the immediate family and um. Uh, it, a few people are bringing up on the thread about the, the show that just got canceled. Um, there's there's the merch. I want one. I have to get a T-shirt. These are where my uh, my where my book is. See, we we took a a print of my beard. <laughs> I love it so much. Um, um, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you you go ahead. I already asked you a question. Talk. Oh, you know, so, so we have our band, The Immediate Family. Now, the, the Immediate Family is kind of a vague outgrowth of our band, The Section, from back in the beginning of the 70s, which was Craig Durge on keyboards, myself, Russ Kunkel on drums, and Danny Korchmar on guitar. And then as time went on after we formed that within the next, like, two years, uh, he was never a member of the group, but he was part of the team, was Waddy Wachtel, because we were doing records together and all that. Well. Uh, all the decades have gone by. By the end of the 70s, we had folded shop with the band. We had done three albums and and had a cult following, but really had very little success as far as selling records. Mm -hmm. um, so about, got a guy, I guess it's been about six or eight years now. Um, 
maybe six years, I guess. I'm really horrible with time because I still think I'm 29. But um, <laughs> You're not? You know, it's like I walk through the house and I walk by a reflective surface and I call 911 and I report <laughs> oh, I broke into my house <laughs> before I realized it was me. In the um, No, so Danny Korchmar got offered a record deal by a, a label called Vivid Records in Japan. They wanted him to do a solo record and what he, he wanted to do. Well, uh, on kind of a, a whim, he didn't think Russ and I would be in town or anything like that because we were normally on tour. Well, right. for the period of time that he was going to need, we were both here. So he hired us to come in and play on the record with him. He wanted Waddy to do it, but Waddy was out with Stevie Nicks, but he could get in for the last day, which is, I think we did the album in four days. I think we did three days. And then Waddy came in on the fourth day and then did some overdubs for him. But when Cooch moved back to Los Angeles from back east, um, he ended up in a part of town where he started interacting with Steve Postel. They met at some parties and started playing together and stuff. And it really felt really uh, connected for the two of them. Mm -hmm. And uh, so when he was prepping to do the album, he had Steve work with him on doing all the pre-production and all of that. So Jackson Brown let us use his studio and we went in and, and cut this album. And when it was all through, um, they had to come up with a title for it. And uh, it, it was for this whole project. And it was Danny Korchmar. And, and Danny ended up saying, well, these guys are like my immediate family. So let's just call it the immediate family. Then we ended up going to Japan and touring over there and did a lot some live recording over there. And then we came back, uh, we ended up get, get, get signing with Quarto Valley Records, this, uh, a guy named Bruce Quarto. It's his mm -hmm. label. Mm -hmm. He's got like um, Edgar Winters on it, uh, T-Bear. There's a whole bunch of right. artists on it. Um, so we've been working on that. And after the first Obligation album was over, that we then we dropped the Danny Korchmar and just called it the Immediate Family because it became this collective. And uh, we've got a new um, album that's sitting in the can where we haven't figured out a release date for it yet, but um, it's really fun. And we've started gigging and, and throwing in some of the songs from the new album, even though nobody's heard the album yet. And uh, Denny Tedesco, who did this documentary film, The Wrecking Crew, about the great studio musicians in L.A. of the uh, late 50s to 70, kind of the 60s where people during that period had no idea when they were listening to Frank Sinatra, the Beach Boys and the Mamas and Papas, that it was all the same musicians on these records. And Denny's father was Tommy Tedesco, who was probably one of the greatest studio guitar players who ever lived. Um, so he, he got offered a chance to make another movie and he's ended up making a movie called The Immediate Family about- our Which is on, you know, I got to see it before you did actually. Yeah. Denny slipped me a cop. What a film it is. Okay, you guys have seen it now. Yeah. Um, so tell, tell us your thoughts. Well, it's really, it's weird. I've been asked so many times to be to be interviewed about other people's movies. Mm -hmm. Like I was just, I, I went over and I, I got together with Diane Warren because I wanted her to make a little video for the book because she's in the book and everything. I um, saw her little video. <laughs> well, when I was at the studio though, there was a film crew there doing a, uh, they're doing a doc on her. Mm -hmm. So they said, would you be interviewed? And I, so I sat there for about a half hour, talked to them. And I know it'll probably be about 20 seconds, you know, in the <laughs> I'm used to that, but the idea of sitting and watching a movie about yourself, the whole thing, 
is really weird because I, I also imagine I don't I'm really glad to work every day, but I don't think of myself as as film worthy kind of thing. I mean, it's just something that doesn't just doesn't communicate to me. So to sit and watch this and see all this and and learning stuff about the other guys in the band who I've known for over half a century and finding out new things about them in the movie has been interesting. One of the things Denny said was a real hook for him on this whole thing was that the Wrecking Crew was really active for about 10 years as, mm -hmm. as a unit. They never left the studio. They had no vested interest in the songs other than playing the making the tracks for them. But they didn't they didn't tour. They didn't produce any of these people. Right. He said, you know, we've been together now and, and still working constantly after 52 years together. Mm -hmm. That we've there's guys have written songs, produced songs. We've toured with many of the artists we've worked with and stuff. He said it's a completely different dynamic. So he didn't feel like this is Wrecking Crew two, right? You know? Oh, it's not, I've yeah. seen both films. Yeah. They are not that way at all. And and the most shocking thing to me is that Danny smiles a lot. That was like, wait a minute, how did Danny get Danny to smile so much? Yeah, he, they they had they had a green screen mask on him, and then they they put them they put the smile in there. It you was know, amazing. He's he's a trip. He's a trip. But it's really it's really a, a to me it's it's a real interesting piece of work and. I really, I mean, it's still, there's more film festivals coming up. It's one audience favorite at a number of the film festivals that it's been shown at. It's um, a, it's beautifully done. Did Denny did, job. Denny did a masterful job. His, his concept works beautifully. It's original. I'm not going to give, I'm not going to give any spoilers, but it's beautifully done. Very original. Butler um, did. It's it's it it, it, yeah. it was thrilling it was thrilling to watch very proud of it and, and the thing that was that's really been fun is is going to screenings and then doing the q a's afterwards just to sit there we, when we did god which one was it one of the festivals that we were at we were sitting up in the back of the of the theater and all this and when it ended the audience all stood up and turned and clapped facing Aww. us it's like deep it's really deep and, it is. and so I hope it finds a good home because that's what it's all about now is finding somebody to purchase it. Mm -hmm. And you know, be it Netflix or a theatrical release. I don't I'm know. sure that's going to happen. Yeah. I'm sure that will happen. Because yeah, I've, I've been talking about this for a long time and all the clubhouse members and all the people want to see it. Um, but until somebody buys it and puts it on a schedule, it's, you know, it's not going to, they're not going to see it. So, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful, but I'm really proud of, of what, what Denny, and the whole production team pulled Amazing together. Amazing job. Amazing job. So, okay. So Lee, you were saying before how much you love playing clubs and that it's so intimate. So now after doing a lifetime of stadiums and, and arenas yeah. to now, and, and we've talked about this before about how um, it was always your dream to have the band, your band, right? And then here you were on 2600 albums and playing for everybody so now you've got your band yeah. you've that that whole lifetime dream and back to playing clubs which you love I wonder if it's going to stay that way for you guys what do you think what do you think 
I don't know. You know, I mean, this is the great unknown. If you really kind of knew the formula for all this stuff, um, things would be different for you. But um, all we can do is is make the best music we can. Um, whenever we can get out and play, try to win, you know, fans over and get word of mouth going. Like Dan, like Denny talks about when he shows the movie, he says, please tell your friends, you know, just talk about it. And if you like it, he says, if you don't like it, don't talk to anybody about it. But, you know, but for us, it, <laughs> it's, a, it's a matter of, you know, getting out every time we've played a place, people come back and go, we love you guys. This is really great because it's, it's a different thing when we first started doing this. Um, we were joking that saying we were a cover band that only plays originals because basically we were doing a lot of songs in the set that like like Cooch wrote with Don Henley or Jackson Brown and James Taylor and stuff. So we're doing familiar songs and the audience doesn't realize that these are the guys that actually did the record. Right. So we'll see what happens with all this. You know, we're all at this point in our lives, there's there's a certain you're somewhat anxious about this only because you're looking at your contemporaries dropping like flies around you. And uh, I mean, I'll be 76 and Wadi and I will both be 76 in, in May and, and Cooch is, will be 77, his next thing. And I think Russ will be 75 or so. Um, Postel's like the baby in this thing. He's like 10 yes, years. Yes, he is. But, um, but it's one of those things you don't want to waste any time. You want to get out there and do it. So um but we we have so much fun doing it, and and it's a, it, it's quite unusual to have a group of of guys that have been playing together for over half a century that don't have fights, don't have arguments. There's no prima donnas. There's no bullshit going on. It's let's let's just make the music. There's there can be differences, but they're discussed. It's not like you know like you know somebody's having a hissy fit and storms out the door kind of thing. Um, so I feel really fortunate to be in a situation with the guys I really care for and really respect musically that I've, that I know so well, and we're still having fun with it. And the, and the record company, um, they're still working on when is the best time to release the new album and sorting that stuff out. And we were hoping to coincide that with the documentary release, but I don't want to sacrifice one for the other. So it, it, we'll probably end up bringing the album out before the, the doc comes out. I don't know for sure at that, but it, it's ready to go. The film's ready to go, but but all all Bordeaux Valley has to do is say we're releasing it for the movie. It's buyers and and schedule. Right. So I don't right. know. Right. But can you I tell know, us what the new album is called, or is that not? I public? think I think we're calling it Skin in the Game, which which, <laughs> which I like it. Which well, it's actually it's the song that we've got um, that during the closing credits for the movie. Um, but there's some fun tunes on this um, that uh, I, it's just I'm really proud of this whole thing. I mean, there's some really uh, fun tunes. The guys are writing great and singing great. And it's just it's, well, it's, where did divorce come from? I mean, nobody in your band's divorced, are they? Uh, there's been a bunch of them. Cooch has been been divorced. Um, Us has been through divorces. That's uh, true. All right. So, you know, but that's a cooch tune and it's, yeah. it's so funny. I it's mean, a great it's tune. And uh, the toughest girl in town, and uh, which, which is a sparks tune, which of course was written about me. No, well, well, no, you're, you're, you're all, you're all of these things, but there's, there's a whole, you know, I mean, like one of the songs Wadi wrote is, is called a whole lot of rock and roll. Mm -hmm. And it just, you want to hear a little? Oh, yes. Well, okay. Would you, yes, yes, yes. 
I'm a little, I don't know how this is sonically going to sound for everybody here, but well, I'm gonna, we'll... let's see what, see what happens here. But this is a whole lot of rock and roll. This is Wadi Wachtel. <laughs> Focus on a crowd, enjoy the band and play your music loud. There's a few things you 
guys sure do know how to rock and roll. That is spectacular. Old parts. <laughs> spectacular. Thank you for playing that for us. I love it. It's fun, I but there's a lot of variety on the Sincucha's tunes are fun and Steve's stuff's real, really cool. So it's it's a lot of variety, but it's a lot of fun. And, and we've been playing it live and it gets good, people are really digging it live. So, you know, I, I have I have hopes, you know, I, it's one of those businesses that, you know, you just never know what's going to happen. I've worked with artists that I thought had everything going for them. They had the looks, the sound, the writing, nothing happened. And I've worked with other people who I went, what a turd. And they're the, and the next thing you know, it's a number one record. You just don't know. I mean, there's this, this thing that it, it evades. It, there it, must be times when you know, though, Lee, there must be times when you're in the studio and you, you know well yes there's well the thing is you don't know it's going to be a hit because there's so many the minute it leaves that studio a whole other set of variables comes into mm -hmm. play i've worked That's on things where i thought it was incredible but it was maybe for cbs records and before it got released there was a change of regime mm. at the label and whoever came in didn't want to have anything to do with the previous it, you know, regime songs. So they shit can all of the stuff that's been cut and they want to have their own stuff. And that's has nothing to do with the quality of the music or anything like that. It's just, it's egos and stuff come in. And there are so many things that come into play that you really have to step away from it. And you go, you go in and you give it your all. You, I mean, to me, it doesn't matter if I'm working with Phil Collins or I'm working with like the grocer from the supermarket says, <laughs> I'm going to do a demo. Would you play on my demo? If I say yes, I bring the same. Of course you do. Same attitude to it. And some of these things uh, I, I've done. I did one record. Um, what was the name? The guy named it was ended up being called, I think, the Jeff Pryor band. But this guy, Jeff Pryor, I think his family owned. Um, they supplied like medical things like when you if you'd be in the hospital and they roll up the IV bottle to you, they made the, the stand that the IV bottle would go on. So I think it was a really successful family. They made a lot, but his dream was playing music and mm. all that. And we did his album and man, it was, I mean, Steve Bruton, the late Steve Bruton was playing mm. guitar. David Page was on it, Simon Phillips. Um, there was a bunch of us on this record and it's one of my favorite records. And it was really a vanity project for the, mm. this guy, but it was one of those things that this is as good as anything I've ever worked on with people. Wow. But I think only the inner circle of people knew it. I mean, I, I've, I've featured it on YouTube and a lot of people have come on there. One of the joys of the YouTube channel is turning people onto music that they are not familiar with. And, and all the time people have said, I went out and I bought the album. I, went out, I, I, I can't believe. And that's what kills me where when I've been blocked, I'll, I'll put something up and it gets blocked and I'm sitting there thinking, okay, let's see. The label doesn't do anything for this artist. I can't monetize it because everything's copyright. So it's all the work I put into my YouTube channel. I don't make a penny on that. Basically, mm -hmm. uh, if I post a, if I post a video of me playing with the dogs in the backyard, I might make you know like, you know thirty cents on that. <laughs> so I mean, I do this for the for the joy of it. But the thing that's great is it turns people onto this music, and then the fucking label comes in and blocks it, and you go. I mean, it was funny. I, I did um, a song, uh, a Carly Simon song called Waterfall that mm -hmm. I did with Carly. And I put it up and it immediately got blocked. 
on there. And I was in a good situation. I called Carly and I said, what's going on here? She said, what's, what do you mean? I said, well, I went to put you up on the YouTube today and it got blocked. She flipped out, called her manager, who then called Warner's and, wow. and, and had them unblock it. So, you know, David got Goliath once more. Wow. Well, you but, are in a unique position to get that yeah, kind of stuff done. But, but you done. know, like I, I put up It's Raining Men. I played on mm -hmm. It's Raining Men. I put it up. It was blocked immediately. I don't know who the recourse on that. But what's the reason? All you're going to do is benefit from this. I mean. I mean absolutely. People are going to go. Yes, of course. I don't I don't understand that whole thing, but it gets into and it, it, it's just you have to just sit back because there's certain things that go on in this business that if you really let them get under your skin, um, you're going to go crazy and it's not going to resolve. It's kind of like I've over the years, I've really taught myself like when I'm driving home, like if I'm working at Jackson Brown studio, which is in Santa Monica mm -hmm. and I finish it or, or village recorders and we finish at five o'clock. Well, my 25 minute drive home at any other time of day is going to be two hours on, on the 10 freeway to the one, mm -hmm. you know, one ten. Well, I could either sit in the car pissed off being mad or I turn on like the Sinatra, you know, XM, Sirius XM or classical concerts or the R&B channel. And I just listen to music. I'm going to get home at the same time. Now, how do I want to get home? Totally pissed off or just chilled out? And I go, you know, I got two hours. So I got to deal with. I mean, that's not going to change. The only thing that can change is my attitude. Excellent. Yeah. So I look at all this stuff like that. You know, I just try to. I, I control what I can control, and I let go of what I can't control unless it directly affects me. Then I'll then I'll dig in my heels. But. For the most part, there's so many things, and especially in this business, that I see guys flipping out over it. And I just go, why? I mean, you're, it's not going to do you any good. Nothing's going to change there. You know, so you just you, you let it run its course and you hope that, you know, sanity prevails at some point. But it, it, a lot of times it doesn't. And you have to just sit back and you go, OK, whatever. Um, That's very evolved thinkingly. Yeah, well, it after is. 75 years i better have evolved into something other than an old, you know, old. <laughs> but come on we know how many people have not so many yeah, most no, people absolutely so okay so the album could come out any day might is there a reason they're they were going to hold it back for the film but now they're thinking maybe not well, so much i think it's up to bruce quarto and management to make that that call because they've got their game plan involved mm -hmm. in promotion and all that and we've made it as difficult for them as we possibly can <laughs> from the standpoint that Waddy's Waddy's Stevie Nicks's musical director he's been with Stevie for decades and she's working now more than she's worked in a long time and she's getting ready to start a stadium tour with Billy Joel wow so, so he's out of commission I'm going out in in a week I head out with Lyle Lovett for six weeks to do a an acoustic a small acoustic tour and then Russ and I will be back with Lyle. Oh, so time. Russ won't be on this first part? No, this, this is Jim, ah. Jim Cox playing piano, Luke Bulla singing, playing violin, and Jeff White playing mandolin, acoustic, and singing, and Lyle. Mm. So it's a real intimate little evening. And then in summertime, we'll be out for a couple of months doing the large band again. So we're trying to find windows where they can get us out on the road and book the band, too. So it's, it's, a, it's not like you know it, it, it's it's really hard to um to say no to, to the the gigs you've been doing for years and, and yeah so 
we're, we're, we're kind of in a balancing, we're kind of like this plate spinner on Ed Sullivan, who's just trying to keep all these plates up in the air. Um, it's, it's a lot to deal with all the time, but we're going to, we're going to manage to do it. So we're leaving those kind of decisions like the album release and all that pretty much up to management to maybe look at a window where we're all available to go out and actually work it. Um, so that it's not just being thrown out there and then there's no backup with it or follow-up from us. So we'll see. It's a, it's a challenge. Are there any shows scheduled for LA coming up, you guys? Um, no, because we we just did, we finished up LA at the end of the, uh, of the year. Um, right now, there's some things going on that have to be addressed before we will be gigging again. And like I said, I'm going to be leaving um, with Lyle and, and Wadi's leaving. Uh, he's working with... They're going to be in rehearsals, I think, February, and then they hit the road in March. So mm -hmm. as of right now, there's there's nothing uh, in, in the books for it, but that can change, you know, quickly. We'll see. We'll see. It's it to me, it's it's malleable and it's a work in progress. Um, and, there's and a lot I, of quest questions about the show that got canceled and is everybody okay? And just yeah. to put out there that everybody is okay. Yeah. 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 It was one of those things. We we live in a world where things shut down instantly because of the conditions that we're, you know, living under with, with disease and all this. And it doesn't take much to shut a show down. And it was really uh, one of those situations that it, we were so upset about it, but you know, that there's protocols at, at, at venues and, and things, and they don't want to take chances on stuff. So you do what you, you do what you got to do, but it was it certainly uh, this past weekend was totally disappointing from the standpoint we had three shows and, after the first one, we had to cancel the next two. And, uh, but uh, it's, it's, it's the world we live in. You know, it's, it's a brave new world. When we were out with Lyle last summer, we got a, the large band, it, it's Lyle and 15 guys. And at one point, nine of them were in quarantine. I remember you told Lyle had it, it, it himself, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. And, but he never missed a show. He just, which is, Insane. Yeah, I mean, but he didn't feel bad. I mean, that's the whole thing. You got that little stick and it tells you you're sick, but some people really are sick and other people don't feel it at all. So, but he kept his distance, wore his mask all the time. He had his own bus. So he would, you know, come up, do the show, get back on his bus. We were separated a little bit more on stage. And when the, uh, when the band guys got sick, we were, we had two buses for the band. We had one bus was basically the rhythm section and the other bus was like the horn section and background singers and steel and all that. We were fortunate that our bus never got sick. So with a rhythm section, we could do all the shows. So we never missed a show with it. Wow. Where those guys, and only two of those guys were sick and the other one, but because they were all in a bus, they quarantined everybody on it. And that's, you know, so you have to kind of create these rules as you're going along. I mean, Wadi said, I think they, 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 te they test like twice a day on Stevie's tour. Wow. You know, I mean, and, and some, you know, and there's there's a lot of ramifications with this stuff. I mean, if you cancel, you better have good insurance because this is going to be a financial disaster. Yeah. I mean, in all the years I toured with Phil Collins, we we only missed two shows in all the all the years of, of touring. And those were only because he was so sick that he could not croak one note. One was right after we had played in Russia. And he got really sick in Russia. And by the time we got to Prague, which was going to be the biggest tour, biggest show of the whole tour, it, we had to post, we ended up coming back at the end of the tour and doing the show. But that, that 
yeah, he was so depressed over that because it's one mm. of those situations that the people might get their money back, but they've set aside vacation time. They've got sure. airline tickets, hotel tickets, childcare, all the things that come. It, it's a disaster for the audience, regardless if you say, we're coming back, we'll honor your ticket. Right. They might not be able to come back because they blew right. their wad on that. Uh, so we that was the one. And then we were supposed to play Pine Knob and we had a sold out show, like 45,000 people at Pine Knob outside of, in Michigan. And again, he was so sick that we got up and did one song and then called it. And the audience, wow. we thought they were going to storm the stage. But oh what God. can you do? You can't fake it, you know, unless you're one of the new artists that just does everything to tape. Anyhow, <laughs> you have your vocal cords removed and still <laughs> Um, so Lee, I'm also being asked here, are there any chance that, uh, there'll be a screening of the documentary in LA anytime? And they're saying that I should, uh, I should do the Q and a with you guys. Oh, that would be fabulous. I mean, it would um, be great. plus you've talked to everybody, you know, everybody in the band. So, you know, you would be, you would be a perfect uh, hostess. To I do would love to do it, but are there any screenings coming up in LA? No, not that I'm, well, it, it's all predicated on these film festivals schedules. right and right. there's no la film festival as far as i know so you know which is unbelievable that you know one of the entertainment capitals of the world doesn't is have that true there's no la film festival come on i'm aware of wow that's crazy the closest, right there closest, i think was palm springs and they didn't want it really but, but they didn't want the wrecking crew either Wow. So I don't well, know what they're, I mean, it's the criteria of the festival, you know, I mean, just because you have a movie doesn't mean you're going to get in into it. I mean, we were really thrilled that, that we got invited to the, the doc New York festival, which is the biggest documentary festival in the world. Wow. And, and there was mountains and mountains of movies during the whole thing. And there was no like one through 10 top thing but we were in the top 10. They didn't say who was, but the, 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 our documentary ended up in the top 10 of the whole festival. So it's spectacular. Yeah. If, if anything comes up where there is going to be a screening anywhere, that's possible. I will get the information to you and get it Excellent. out. There. I will disseminate yeah. to your as, people. But as of right now, I'm not aware of one. I think like they're doing the Sedona Film Festival, which is a drag because they wanted me to come to that, but that's right at the beginning of Lyle's tour and I'm going to be mm. somewhere in Shreveport or someplace like that. So I can't, but I've tried to make as many of the festivals as I can because I, I love going there, seeing an audience watch it. And then oh, when you yeah. the Q&A questions are really fun because so many of these people that come to these things the one comment that I always have appreciated is when you meet people and they go, what you did is like, that's the soundtrack of my life. And suddenly when they're hearing like these carol tunes and James and Jackson and Hall and Oates and Phil Collins, and, and then they suddenly see these are the guys who did it. And you're mm -hmm. tangibly right there in the same room with them. Unbelievable. It gets pretty deep. It it's thrilling. It's absolutely thrilling. Well, Lee, I, it's always so Wonderful. I miss you. I miss seeing you in real life. I'm, I, it's wonderful to spend this time with you always. I'm so glad that you're healthy and, and healing, healed pretty much. Pretty, pretty much there. Pretty much. Uh, I can't wait till Skin in the Game comes out. It's just, maybe you'll slip me a couple of tracks on the side. Oh, absolutely. To, uh, <laughs> absolutely. No, you know, I, I trust you with whatever. <laughs> 
No, um, it'd be great. It'd be great. It'd be great. I definitely want you to hear it. Thank you so, so much for doing this. And for I know you, it's a long day for you. You did your clubhouse today and it's a lot of talking for you. Great. But... I'm going to go downstairs and we're going to make a Caesar salad for dinner here. And I'm going to sit with the pups for a while. And then I'll probably come back up and work on some Lyle stuff. I mean, it's, it never ends, which is, you know, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that the dance card is full and I'm not sitting like a wallflower. You're indefatigable and beyond brilliantly talented and the best thing about you is the person that you are, Lee. You're just you're just a sweetheart. Just adore you. It, I feel the same with you, Vicky. And I'm anytime you want, I'm, I'm happy to come here because you're the best hang. You're the best interview. You're the best. <laughs> I know. I really, I really mean it. And and you've got one of those shows. Like I've done so many shows where people say, "Oh, you got to come back and check our show." And I kind of don't, but I watch as many of yours as I can because. You know, seeing Jason Alexander and all these different, I mean, you get you get the, like such a wide breadth of of people to come on your show, which speaks highly for you, because Thank you. these people wouldn't be doing this if they didn't want to be there. Thank you. Well, the only immediate family member I have not had yet is Danny. And I'm, I guess I'm going to have to go knocking on that door and just accept that he might be scowling at me the whole time. <laughs> He'll be at the smile clinic getting an implant. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. Love to Maureen. Have a wonderful, enjoy your Caesar salad. And I hope I see you soon. Thanks, Lee. I adore you. Bye.